Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. The human experience is entering the afterlife. My guest tonight is Misha from the Near Death Experience Research Foundation. Misha, my man, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Welcome to HXP. Glad to be here. The near death experiences really fascinate me, and I, I'm very interested in talking about this. How how did you get started in this work? Uh, you asked me the hardest question first. Actually, the honest answer is I don't remember. Um, I've always been interested in the paranormal, and I think probably what happened is I started listening to a bunch of uh, paranormal podcasts, and probably they worked their way around from UFOs to out-of-body and near-death experience, and probably I started you know, searching the web and started reading about it. That's probably what happened. Oh, okay. Cool. So, what what is your background specifically? Well, my background is I'm a microbiologist. Um, right now, I'm uh, an English teacher in Russia. But um, for 15 or 20 years, I was a microbiologist specializing in DNA research and cancer research. And um, uh, so when I look at the paranormal, I tend to ask a lot of hard questions. That's good, man. That's I like that. Uh, science is definitely interesting. And, and so, I'm very open-minded to it. Sorry to interrupt you, but I'm very open-minded to it, too. I'm not like these guys who say, this is not true and that can't be true. Uh, that's not real science. That's being closed-minded. Yeah, putting putting the science aspect of of this is important, I think. So why don't we get into what Enderf does and how it got started. Uh, so can, can you tell us what they do over, over there? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, NDERF, the NDERF, or Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, um, was started, um, I did some checking with my colleagues, and I'm, I hope I'm going to get these facts right, but it was started, I think, in 1998 by Dr. Jeffrey Long. He's a, I believe he's a radiation oncologist in, in uh, Louisiana, and um, he began collecting reports of people who have, you know, almost died and had unusual experiences. And uh, Xavier, you probably already know that uh, this came into the public consciousness. Um, a lot of people point to Raymond Moody with his books. I think one of them was, what, what was it, Life After Life or something mm, like that? Yeah. It's right around the 70s. But anyway, Enderf was started in 98. Um, with Dr. Jeffrey Long and uh, now his wife, uh, Jody Long, is involved. And she's really um, a big driving force behind the, um, the websites and things. What they do is collect um, stories from people. And I don't like the word stories because that sounds like fairy tales. So I like to use the word accounts from people. Uh, but then that sounds like bank accounts. But <laughs> so I don't know what word to use. But they, they um, collect experiences from people. And they collect them by having them fill out a questionnaire. And it's got um, 20 or 30 questions. And it says, what happened to you? Were you in medical distress? Was your, were your perceptions different? Did you meet any relatives? Did you meet a loving entity? Did you get any special abilities after this? How did you relate to others after this? Um, did scenes from the world's future come to you? Um, how was your hearing, your vision? That, the, all kinds of questions. So they basically catalog all this stuff together and then um, try to make some sense of it through research and making connections. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, there's Bruce Grayson developed a scale to measure the depth of an individual's near-death experience. Have, have you heard of this? I think I have. Uh, not on and the top of my head, but I did hear about it. It's basically, he did this, I'm not sure exactly when, but he he... Just a, a zero, one, or two answer on various questions, kind of like what Enderf is doing. And basically, the questions consist of: Did time speed up or slow down? Were, were your thoughts the normal? Were uh, did, were there scenes from your past? Did you have feelings of joy? 
Uh, was there a sense of connectedness with the universe? D do you notice that there is a congruence or a similar quality, a common type experience when people are talking about their NDEs? <clears throat> absolutely, absolutely. And um, Xavier, before I get started, I just want to, I forgot to say it at the outset, but uh, you know, I'm not really speaking on behalf of Enderf, just because I'm an individual volunteer, but um, I'm just going to answer as honestly as I can as, a, as an individual who's read um, many hundreds of NDEs, mostly from Enderf. So um, that's my little disclaimer that I'm not saying anything <laughs> official for them. But okay. um, in answer to your question, um, absolutely, there are common features. And um, uh, Dr. Long has published a book um, you know, we don't pu push books or anything like that. I think he was just collecting the data in a convenient form. Um, you know, when you've got, I think they've got about 4,000 NDEs. Um, making sense of that is not going to be easy, and a book is going to be a lot easier to digest. But in this particular book, um, which is called Evidence, for the After Evidence of the Afterlife, he goes through about 12 features that um, make up NDEs. Um, not all of them are present in every case. But they keep showing up over and over again. And if you'd like, I can go through those with you. Okay, like, yeah, like, sure. Like, like leaving your body. Okay. Well, um, and th these don't take a lot of time. Um, it's a pretty short list. Um, well, feeling a physical separation of your consciousness from your body. Uh, that happens in about 75% of the NDEs. Uh, feeling that your senses are really, really heightened. And in other words, seeing very, very vivid colors or, audio or sounds which are very vivid happens in about 74% of the cases. Um, feeling in really, really intense emotions and feelings is about 76% of the cases. Um, passing through a tunnel is, a, is kind of a cliche, and it does happen, but it, not as much as people think. That's about 34% of the time. Hmm. Um, encountering a brilliant or mystical light, some sort of illumination is about 65% of the time. Encountering other beings, um, and this could be mystical beings or, or relatives or anything, just some sort of uh, sentient being is about 57% of the time. So not everyone sees their relatives or an angel or something. It's, it's a little over half. Right. Um, a very different sense of time and space is about 61% of the time. Uh, a full review of everything that happened in your life, um, those are really fascinating to me. That's about 22% of the time. Um, encountering some other completely different dimension, something you might call heavenly or some sort of dimension, 41% of the time. Um, encountering special knowledge. In other words, you feel that maybe you understand everything about how the universe works, how it's put together. It's like a Swiss watch and you know what all the gears do. That's going to be about... 31% of the time, and other kinds of knowledge, like knowing all about yourself and, and other relationships around you, that's also about 31% of the time. Um, reaching a barrier that you cannot cross or a boundary is about 31% of the time, and um, having a memory of slamming back into your body or re-entering into your physical body, about 59% of the time. Hmm. So those are 12 features that seem to be showing up a lot. Very interesting. So there does seem to be a relationship with, like you're you're exiting your body. So you in in my research, I I found that most people uh, encounter this sort of sense of love, and they exit their body, and they can see their you know their physical body there, and mm -hmm. there seems to be a overwhelming sense of being home, and right, right. to me that. That is really important, and I, I mean, I've always throughout my life, I've always, and the people close to me know this about me, but I've always, I've always kind of longed for this feeling of of being home, and I'm not sure if if you, you as, and me both, brother. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So um, I don't know <laughs> I if, feel if like, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm somebody dropped me off at the wrong train station here. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear that. So, I mean, it, all of these these experiences that I've read are. Uh, truly fascinating and and these people who you know encounter this sort of death and they're physically dead for a few minutes 
And, you know, whether it's occurring in the brain or whether it's this DMT release that happens in your brain or not, I'm not sure if I care about that. I, I think I, <laughs> I'm just, I'm so fascinated by this experience. And, you know, if, if the DMT in my brain is manufacturing this, this super cool reality, it makes no difference to me. I'm not going to be able to tell anyway. So... Yeah, man. I mean, if if we could get into some of the NDEs that you've read about, and if, if you'd like to share one or two of them with us, that might be interesting. Okay. Yeah. And, and just to backtrack one uh, step, you know, there's two types of people. One says, you know, if the results are great, does it matter if it's reality with a capital R? And there's other people who say, you know, I'm a scientist and I definitely want to know, you know, um, you know, is it is it real? And I'm kind of the second group. And um, I'm not out to twist anyone's arm one way or the other, but I think that, um, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of evidence that things are really happening that people are experiencing. Um, There are things that so-called veridical NDEs, you know, they're verified. In other words, um, they leave their body and they notice something about the operating room or um, the cafeteria or a, a car accident or whatever. Things that they should not be noticing from their viewpoint, you know, as a, you know, let's say there's a car accident and you're laid out on the grass and you're not in very good condition. And, um, you know, and then you, you have an NDE, which includes leaving your body and then you recover. And then you say to the paramedics, what was that huge scratch on the top of your ambulance? And they go, what? You were laying on the grass, you know? Hmm. And, and, and these things do happen. And, and that's why I, I believe that, um, in most cases, things are really happening that uh, people are experiencing. Um, if I could just a- drop a, a fact really fast, and this is, this is important, I think, to get into before we, we talk about it, the, the experiences themselves. The first attempts at resuscitation didn't really occur for the human body <clears throat> until about 1767. So what I'm saying <laughs> is that it, this... This idea of reviving a person from death didn't really happen and until about 300 or so, give or take, years ago. So, and, you know, the technology to, to restart the heart with electrodes, that didn't happen until uh, 19... I've got it here somewhere. 1967. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, these cardiac arrest patients that are being brought back there wasn't necessarily the technology to do that you know a few hundred years ago so i think that these experiences that are coming out now they're probably much more common you know through our history i agree i think that people had these for hundreds if not thousands of years it might have even been your your grandmother in the cave with you and she had weird visions and told your your father and he told you or you know even if there's a, without modern resuscitation, if you know, if you want to go down the weird avenue, um, I was reading at one point about the guillotine back when the French were really fond of cutting each other's heads off, <laughs> and sometimes they would do experiments where they would tell the condemned, um, "We want to know how, how long consciousness lasts, so um, be a good sport and blink your eyes like 20 times after we cut your head off." And uh, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think that usually people didn't get out more than, you know, four or five blinks uh, after their <laughs> head was cut off. Wow. And, and this is actually directly speaks to the question because I had some email interchange with, um, I think it was Dr. Long and um, maybe somebody else, but we were talking about physiology. And here's the deal. Can you have conscious experience when you don't have blood pressure to your brain? Um the traditional viewpoint right now in neurology is no. I mean, when you faint, you faint, you're out. And if somebody, you know, strangles you or you suddenly get up too quickly after sleeping, you're just going to pass out and you're probably not going to have sweet dreams. You're just going to be gone. And so what's happening with NDEs is that people are having orderly structured memories of uh, sometimes tunnels, sometimes relatives, sometimes God, if you want to use that word. I like to say source or higher self, but people are having structured um, interactions and they're bringing these memories back with them when they wake up or they come out of um, rehab or whatever. So that doesn't make sense. I mean, and I want to give you an analogy to this. 
um, you've got a computer, right? Oh, yeah. I was just okay. about... Are you about to mention the quantum computing aspect of this? And no, super, no. I was going to go okay. somewhere else. I was going to say, <laughs> you know, you've had a brownout in your house where all the lights dim and there's a thunderstorm and suddenly your computer goes chick, 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 and you go, oh, crap, I just lost my dissertation or my email or whatever, right? Right. When, a com- when, the, when the power in your house has a brownout, your computer works much worse than normal. You will likely lose your documents, perhaps corrupt a couple dozen files, and if you're really lucky or unlucky, you'll have to reformat your whole system. Uh, the computer does not do well with unstable power. Now, where in the world do the skeptics get the idea that your brain, under unstable glucose, blood pressure, unstable power, basically, mm-hmm. is going to perform much, much better and going to give you orderly memories, super vivid recollections, um, uh, you know, veridical things like uh, another veridical thing that happens sometimes is people will uh, meet somebody who has died that they didn't know who's died. So, for example, you've got a college buddy, Ray, and you think he's doing fine in Florida, but in fact, you didn't know that he was killed um, right after you graduated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you have an NDE, and you're flying out there in the ether astral somewhere, and Ray shows up in his leather jacket, and he says, hey, Xavier, how you doing? He say, Ray, what are you doing here? And then, you know, you recover and you go through rehab or whatever and and you say you know i think i had an nd and it seemed awfully real to me but there was this one part of it that was kind of bs and and the person says oh what was that i said i met ray and race my buddy he's doing just fine they go you know we didn't want to tell you about it he died (laughs) because that would stress you out and you were already not doing too well yourself yeah so um anyway i'm Huh, super interesting, yeah. There's a, and this flows well with, with what I was going to say next. Uh, there's there's an aspect of, if you if you buy the theory that the universe is a big computer, there there's, in quantum computing, there's something called super superposition. It's mm-hmm. where information can exist in two places at once. So if you have this idea that we are leaving our bodies and yet our physical bodies are still there and this explains uh, obes i mean you could kind of kind of note that maybe nds and if if you're you're treading that like life or death line that perhaps the data is being split data being your consciousness and your consciousness is being split into Two, and you're experiencing these otherworldly states, and and then you're coming back to your body, which which I find highly intriguing. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that totally. Um, in fact, some of the Eastern religions, well, most of them, they have this idea that we're all connected as one, um, but we're down here kind of playing a game of we're acting like we're separate, we're acting like there's black and white, good and evil, um, learning how to be selfish, learning how to be generous. Um, if you take a comb for your hair. And you put it into some water where the, the little tines, they touch the water a little bit. If you look under the water, it looks like there's all these little separate toothpicky things, right? But if you were to look, you know, from a little bit of a distance, you'd see they're all connected at the top. You, do, do you see the visual I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keep going. If you, take a, if you take a comb and you were to immerse it a little bit, all the, all the little pointy parts down, those pointy parts would be like individual lives. Hmm. They, they, all think, they all think they're separate. I'm separate. I'm I'm Misha and I'm Xavier and I'm Ray and I'm whoever. But, you know, if you kind of look at the whole cup, the whole glass, the whole situation, there's a there's a part there's a part above the glass. There's a higher part, the 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 handle of the comb where it's all connected. And that's what a lot of the um the Eastern religions talk about. Um like the higher self and you're saying that these different incarnations that we have are all connecting into the same higher self kind of being thing. Yeah, like I think we're all probably part of the same God energy or source energy. And we've got this idea we're all separate, but we're not as separate as we think we are. I don't know if my visual worked, but that was what I was trying to say. Right, right. Um, but you asked me about a an interesting story to tell you. Um there is a, for your listeners, they're going to have to do a little bit of work, but they're fascinating video that they should watch. It's one of the best I've ever seen. Um, let me give you the title. They have to search YouTube for this. And the title is Famous Cardiac Surgeons Stories of Near-Death Experiences in Surgery. That's Famous Cardiac Surgeons Stories of Near-Death Experiences in Surgery. 
And the uh, account for that video um, is Dental Mastermind Group. And this is a dentist and uh, this cardiac surgeon. They're at a conference somewhere, and they decided to record his um, his experience. And um, the surgeon is actually pretty famous, I think, um, in cardiology. His name is Dr. Lloyd Rudy. Um, he's one of the guys who figured out why heart attacks really happen. But to make a long story short, he had a... Uh, the video is fantastic, but he had a patient who flatlined in in uh, surgery, and they had all kinds of monitoring devices on this guy. They had a esophageal echo probe, which I think kind of does a little sonar to see if your heart is beating. Um, they had the uh, EKGs and all that sort of stuff, and the surgery didn't go well. They just uh, they couldn't save the guy, and so he gave up and told his other colleague, "Look, I don't think we can finish this. I don't think it's going to work." And they they called him. They, they called the time of death and whatever. And he asked his assistant to sew the guy up, just a few um, wire stitches, which they do prior to autopsy. And, um, I mean, it's not a cosmetic thing. It's just like, you know, we're done here, and it's not, it didn't go well. Um, and the guy is dead. Well, it turns out the guy, um, they all, they left the room. They started to um, wash their hands and eat lunch or whatever they were doing. And um, cleaning people came in, and there was... Um, cardiograph tape all over the floor i mean just you know it was kind of like a you know a football stadium where the team didn't win you know <laughs> a sad scene in there and somebody noticed that the um, echocardiogram started beating a little bit and then the breathing started to come up a little bit and then the you know the uh, electrocardiogram got a little bit of a pulse and all this stuff started happening and suddenly someone called said oh you guys get, a, get back here this guy for no reason is uh, is is reviving and as I recall from the video, he, the patient was dead for something like 12, 15, 17 minutes. I mean, a period of time which would not be good for your brain because your brain needs oxygen. Um, I don't think it does well after even five or six minutes because the amount of glucose it needs and stuff like that. But it would have been brain damage time. And this guy fully revived and didn't have brain damage. And a few days later in the recovery suite, they decided to kind of say, hey, how's it going? And did you notice anything weird during the surgery? You know, not really leading questions, but to see if he noticed anything, if anything at all. And uh, what really blew their minds was that he said, you know, um, I, I, I saw my body there. I was floating above it. I saw you leave the room. I saw you were washing your hands. I saw the other guy went to get his sandwich and this and that. And, you know, all of that is sort of logical in a way. But then he said, uh, what was that long, long yellow thing attached to my monitor? His, uh, you know, the little electronic monitors. And um, and the surgeon thought about it for a minute, and he was like, oh my gosh, or maybe even a more colorful language. And he said, this is completely impossible for him to have noticed. Not only was he um, dead in the, in the uh, circulatory sense, not only were all of his uh, electric vitals, you know, null, null or null, mm -hmm. but um, his eyes were probably taped shut, you know. <laughs> he was probably rolled into the suite with his eyes taped shut or whatever. But the the really clincher for this surgeon, Dr. Lloyd Rudy, was that he said, when I start my surgeries, I have a monitor there. And when anyone calls my phone, you know, doctors get a lot of phones and pages and stuff. When anyone calls me, I obviously am not going to pick up the phone while I'm, you know, cutting into somebody. He says, my assistant or a nurse will come in and and put a sticky note on the monitor. And if I recall, it becomes two notes onto each. And he said by the end of a long five, eight, nine hour surgery, this thing becomes like a, a, a big, long yellow tail. And he said, this patient said, what was the long yellow tail hanging from my electric monitor? And he said, there was no way. Because when I start my surgery, there's no tail. I don't have any phone calls when I begin. Hmm. And and he you know he gets emotional and he says I, I'm I'm sure there's something else there's a higher power and that our consciousness is not purely coming out of our brain. So hmm, that's really really intriguing, man. And I kind of kind of want to switch gears a little bit just because I'm looking at this research paper that was conducted out of Amsterdam and I mean we're talking about NDEs and how often they occur, but there's there's another side to that. I mean, there's some people don't experience this. There there was a study done 
out of Amsterdam by uh, Vincent Myers, and they were studying out of how many people would have NDEs, and I think they studied uh, 344 people, and mm-hmm. out of out of that, it was I think it was only 62, which is 18 percent of the people that they studied experienced an NDE type phenomena type experience. And so most of the people didn't really have anything, you know, notable to express. I mean, either there was no memory of the event or nothing happened. So that kind of leads me into asking, you know, do you think that NDEs are common? Do you think, do you think everyone experiences this or is there a picking process? (laughs) I mean, from the purely subjective point of view, um, my opinion is that NDEs are given to the world to kind of wake us up a little bit. They're not going to happen all the time. Um, But just because something is rare doesn't mean it's not real. I mean, that's one of the big mistakes that science makes. They say, uh, rare, not real. There are many things in the scientific world that are very rare and very real. So, Misha, there seems to be a consensus or i mean there might there may be an idea that perhaps not everyone experiences this and maybe people do you think maybe some people have souls and other people don't and maybe the people that do are having these ndes or i mean that's you know, that's a scary question do some right. people not have souls <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah. i've met some of those i think um no it's a good question um there's a difference between something being um, rare and uh, something being frequent. Often in science, when something is very rare, science says, oh, that doesn't exist. And that's baloney. There are many things that are rare and very real. If you draw a big square on your wall and you wait for some neutrino from outer space to go through that you know, square on your wall, depending on what you're looking for, it might take a second or it might take 100 years. Um, in science, there are many things that are rare and still very real. So when skeptics go down that route it also kind of gets my steam going um but in answer to your question it's it's probably not i think that it's you know in my own opinion it's probably sort of a gift that's helping to wake the world up in a way um but the way i view it is that um you have to view the nde sort of as or an injury or anything as as sort of like going from point a to point b and not everyone is going to go through the whole process um Maybe not everyone needs, you know, even a spiritual wake-up call. But let's keep it just straight down to the physical for a minute. You know, if you're going to walk from, if you're going to take a a trip from Boston to New York, you know, you're going to wake up, put on your tennis shoes, buy a ticket, walk somewhere, get on a bus, get on a train, and the whole nine yards. Well, the person who has just put on their tennis shoes and then gets a phone call says, no, no, don't go this weekend, go next weekend, you know, whatever. They didn't finish the process. And I think that... um, completely finish the process, basically you're died and you're not coming back. <laughs> so there are probably many realms and dimensions that we don't know about. Even though it might be a very detailed, incredible NDE, there's probably stuff even beyond that. And, you know, when you see some of these documentaries, MT, the spirit molecule, or some of the ayahuasca stuff, um, people talk about almost a kaleidoscope of realm after realm after dimension. And I think that's what we're dealing with here, is that... Uh, it's a long road, and, and some people are just in the very beginning of it. I mean, for example, they'll have a car accident, and they'll be lightly injured, and they'll float above their body, see some weird stuff, and then boom, right back in their body, and that's it. No love, no tunnel, no angels, no relatives. Other people get into a tunnel, like they're right about the light, and they feel some love and acceptance happening, and then boom, they're back in their body. And there's other people who feel like they go to a timeless place where they're discussing things with um, source and God and and it feels like they're doing this for months and months before they come back. It's completely timeless. Right. right. So, um, not everyone completes the journey. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, there's there's been a lot of kind of research. I mean, there at the moment of death, I'm not sure if you saw 21 grams. There's a theory about um, it and the study, it's called I guess it was called 21 grams, the figure that um, at death, 
the soul could weigh 21 grams because the body is lighter by 21 grams at the moment of death. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost as if there's a piece of your body or a piece of your your consciousness itself is is exiting your body and thereby reducing the weight of your physical body. So I think that's interesting too. Um, what do you think causes an NDE? Um, I'm just still thinking about your 21 grams. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a drug joke or something. Um, <laughs> no, that's, that's really cool. Um, before I answer the causes thing, you know, the problem with science and I'm, I'm really tough on them actually uh, being one of them uh, when they think that a question is not serious, they won't even examine it. And that's just such like the wrong attitude. So if you said to say, if you said to them, let's create a whole study and let's buy 20 special scales and let's go to an ICU and, and measure people, they probably would laugh and not even study it. And so when people say there's no evidence for this and that, uh, you don't find evidence where you don't look. And I think that if that's true about this 20, 21 grams, that's totally fascinating. And uh, there was a lot of interest in that kind of study, psychical research in uh, England and, and maybe the U.S., like uh, late 18th and 19th centuries. Uh, I'm not a history buff, but in some ways, I think there's been a more of an um, open mind than, than now. Now, you just asked me, what do I think causes them? Right. Well, uh, I think that we have kind of several anatomies. I think we've got a physical anatomy and um, just my own opinion here and I think we have kind of a spiritual anatomy. Yeah. And I think that they are sort of joined all the time and I think that when you have a bad injury or even you get scared to death or have a deep meditation experiences in, in several types of unusual experiences, the physical anatomy and the spiritual anatomy get out of sync with each other. And uh, and that's sort of the short answer of what I think is going on. Besides all the fact that you're, um, you're, when your body is really not doing well on the verge of death, your consciousness seems to be able to um, to travel much easier than when you're healthy. You know, it's interesting because regardless of your religion or your background or your culture, the one common thing that we share is that we're going to die. At least our physical body bodies are going to die. So mm-hmm. I mean. So I wonder, I wonder how much of this has become sort of a coping mechanism. I mean, it's very intriguing to read about these experiences. And I mean, not that I'm afraid of death. I just, I mean, it's, it's interesting, man. I just, I, these, these stories about, you know, this endless love and I'm with my family and, you know, that there's, if we can get into the game aspect I mean, there, it seems as if, you know, in a, in a few of the experiences, I noticed that, I mean, this, this lady talks about how she kind of wakes up and they're in front of these kind of like computers that connect them into something. And they're, she's laying next to a bunch of other people who are also connected in. And it's almost as if, I think you mentioned this earlier, it's almost as if we're playing this game here on earth and we've, we've forgotten that we're playing entirely. So, yeah. Hmm. Good, good points. Good points. Um, can I riff on that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, I'm glad you brought that up because basically what you're mentioning there is what is all this about? What is, what is this about in the, in the really large scheme of things? And, um, there's an NDE in our database. I don't recall exactly which one it is in our forum. If you search for the terms individuation of consciousness and, Basically, what the NDE person was saying was that um, all of humanity, and maybe even stuff in you know other other worlds, you know, is basically made of the same consciousness, the same love-based consciousness. And at some point, it may be you know billions of years ago, or in some timeless dimension, uh, we decided to be separate a little bit and to have separate experiences and to sort of play a game. You know, when you've got a huge, you know, boiling party, uh, you know, sometimes people put on masks and they scare each other and they go creep around in the woods and then they they come back and they come back to the banquet table and they start laughing again and say, boy, I scared you again, you know? <laughs> and, and you know, and maybe there's this big cosmic party where 
we were all together in this big ball of love and we maybe we were as this ball of love for billions of years and maybe we said this is great and it's comfortable and it's warm but let's do something new and it may be that we decided to create a stage show or to evolve or something but that one post in the forum called individual individuation of consciousness um, says that we consciousness was basically like a, a big dough ball and then it got cut up into all these little things that would become baguettes or whatever. And we, we chose to be individual for a period of time. And, um, you know, this stuff goes back um, a ways. In the 60s, I don't know if you've heard of Alan Watts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he was popular with the hippies and stuff. And he's got a great lecture series that's like uh, 10 hours of, of lectures. He goes into consciousness and some of the Eastern philosophy principles and then you see it get, um, even earlier, you see a lot of that stuff with like Ramana Maharshi in the 40s and 50s. We're all one, we're all part of source. And then you see it pop up again, um, I don't know exactly when, 90, uh, year 2000 with Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now and A New Earth. Um, the idea that we're all connected. So, um, I forgot what the original question was, but... <laughs> <laughs> If we could, if we could just get back into kind of the science aspect of this, there, nature has this process. I mean, it doesn't really ever create anything that is junk, right? And and science has explored uh, like maybe ten percent of our DNA. We're still figuring out what DNA does. Like we we still have no idea like what. Our, our bodies and, and DNA and this DNA and science has termed it junk DNA. So nature doesn't really produce junk ever. I'm not sure if, if you agree with that. Or dark, but. Or dark, or dark matter. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, man, it's, it's interesting that, you know, we exist in these human lives and perhaps, you know, to go back to my previous point, perhaps we've forgotten that this is a game and oh, exactly. we're, we're living exactly. it. And we we were we're so immersed in our nine to five jobs and like everything that we're doing to survive that we've completely forgotten that we came mm -hmm. here to kind of experience and learn and grow and and so yeah I definitely vibe with everything that Alan Watts and these previous authors have have been saying about how we are one and we're connected all of that seems to ring true for me. Well, it's um. You know, it seems like we decided to give ourselves a good fright. And, uh, um, you know, the NDEs, they talk about love is the basis for everything. And um, I think that we arrive here uh, as with this uh, illusion, thinking that we're separate individuals, when in fact we're all connected to each other. And then we get scared, and then we start, you know, getting corrupted and stealing money from each other and buying up all the land while your neighbor can barely eat and stuff. But in the NDEs, um, they talk about it's all about love and um, loving actions. And this is a good segue because um, there's a YouTube channel. There's a lady, she talks about God's glasses, and it's a video clip, and it's awesome because she she has an NDE. Um, she, was, she was taking diet pills, which should only be taken for a few months. She was taking them, like, for 10 years. And she managed to get herself into complete respiratory arrest. And um, and basically what happens is she has the NDE and she has a life review and she sees the events of her life. And she's a real pretty girl and she talks about being on the cheerleading squad and graduating high school and graduating college and, you know, buying a car and all these sort of like things. And then some sort of light being says to her, okay, cool. Um, now there's some glasses on the table. I want you to put them on. <laughs> And she puts on the glasses and says, we're going to do your life review again. And so they kind of, you know, rewind the tape or whatever. And she sees her life again. And none of that stuff is there. Not the cheerleading, not the graduating from high school, not the buying the car, nothing. Only The only thing that she sees are love-based events. She sees when she helped an old lady carry groceries across the street, when she just gave someone her ear who needed to talk, when she... Um, basically did any kind of loving action and she was like put the glasses down and said wow and the light being or whoever that intelligence was said that was those were the only things that were important to me in your whole life the loving events 
So I think we are here to, um, I think it's like a haunted house ride, you know, at the beach. I think we're here to give ourselves a scare a little bit and then to see through it and act loving. Um, like the, um, the Eastern masters talk about, um, you've got to start seeing through the illusion and understanding who you really are. Yeah, it's a big question, man. I mean, why are we here? That's a huge, huge question. So, I mean, do you think it's po- do you think it would be possible to chemically induce an NDE experience? You know, that's a really interesting question. Um, where I lo- where I live, that would not be possible. Um, you know, that's a good question. Would it be the same type of event, or would it be a similar event? Right. You know, I know people who've um, smoked things and compared it to meditation and said, you know, it was similar, um, but not the same. You know, one guy said, uh, I'm sure it's not exactly the same. And then you get into the morality question. Um, I know that in that, um, Terrence McKenna, as you well know, um, talks a lot about DMT and also Rick Strassman talks about DMT, the spirit molecule. Right. And in some of these experiences, people go into these other realms and like, um, an entity or an intelligence or, or a relative will say to them, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. <laughs> so that kind of, you know, and the other side does not appear to be very judgmental. And I hope we hit that base tonight because judgment is not really a big part of NDEs at all. But it makes me wonder if there's sort of a sanctioned pathway to other dimensions or a sort of a wise way of doing it versus an unwise way of doing it. Mm-hmm. I just... Um, I, I don't have enough uh, wisdom to even answer that. Hmm. Yeah, it's really intriguing just because if if this is all occurring in the pineal gland and it's kind of manufactured through DMT in your brain naturally, then perhaps smoking DMT is similar to an NDE. And, yet, and yeah, there is a huge morality aspect to it just because, I mean, if you're taking to a, a person to a point of death and and then bringing them back I, mean, I think there's been a movie made about that the results are never something favorable <laughs> but um yeah man i mean all of this is highly intriguing is is there is there another story that you have maybe for us that could perk yeah. up our listeners and, and i also um i wanted to talk after the story i'd like to talk about the judgment and maybe even ask you a question or two but sure. um let me give you a, a short one here um this one is from carol v uh, she's in the database, and uh, she's become a friend of mine, a very nice person. She had an NDE in January of 1963. And one of the reasons I love this one is because she was only 12 years old. And so what this kind of does is reduce the religious baggage of the experience. Mm-hmm. One of the things that skeptics will tell you is that, uh, oh, well, we have these religious visions because we've been you know, indoctrinated. And, you know, the Baptist person has a Baptist NDE, and the Hindu guy has a Hindu NDE. And that's really not the reality of what we're seeing in the data. And when you get someone young enough, they might not have had any religious indoctrination. And and 12 is sort of on the borderline, but we've had NDEs of people four years old, three years old, five years old, drowning, um, kids who, who might know the word God, but they're not going to know, you know, you need to be saved by self, by baptism and, you know, by the Romans and Ephesians. I mean, they're not going to know that stuff. Wow. And, yeah. Uh, so those, and those kids do have profound NDEs that tell us things, um, when you start comparing them, but Carol's, um, she, and, and that's by the way, why the Enderf has in their questionnaire, did you have any knowledge of NDEs? before you had your experience. Some people have read books by, you know, Raymond Moody and others. Um, some have heard about it a little bit and others have never heard of it. And they're like, what's an NDE? And why was I flying above my car after the car accident? So that helps the researchers to sort out the data a little bit. But in Carol's NDE, she said that she knew not that much about religion. So it's not very long. Let me just read this to you. Okay. It says, I froze to death at 12 years old. It was around 3 in the morning, January 6, 1963. My family had just returned from our holiday vacation to a frigid house that had no heat or electricity or water due to an ice storm earlier that evening. The temperature inside the house was below freezing. We went to icy cold beds thinking we would, de- we would deal with the situation in the morning. 
We were all exhausted from the all-night drive. <clears throat> my body temperature plummeted and hypothermia set in. I was totally numb. Then my spirit essence left my body. I traveled up past my body, up through the ceiling of my room, and through the roof of our house. I kept going. I traveled through, t through time and space and, and towards a void of light. As I traveled, I experienced a life review. My grandfather's soul greeted me on the other side, where I encountered many other souls, entities, light beings, angels, experiences and realms that were unlike anything within our human contexts. And this is a 12-year-old saying this. I recognized great masters such as Buddha, Krishna, and others, whom I have no names for but were perfect beings while on earth. I experienced light beings who were knowledge and gave me answers to all the questions of the universe, universal truth and knowledge. I experienced Christ, and finally I experienced total and complete and perfect light, love, joy, and God consciousness. <clears throat> I understood how we are all part of this amazing frequency that is God resonation. I was told it was not my time to stay and that I was being sent back to my 12-year-old body. I was given information and a mission. I was then immediately sent back against my protests. Gravity hit me at one point, and that was the most painful part of the whole experience, gravity. When I came to, I was dazed, and my sister, who slept next to me, was crying and visibly upset. She had been trying to wake me because she knew something was horribly wrong. I had stopped breathing and was lifeless. She thought I had died. Hmm. Wow. So, pretty intense. Very intense. And not all of them see Christ, by the way, you know, Jesus Christ. I mean, there's, there's uh, some do, some don't, and there's... Uh, so, you're stripping away the religious aspect of this and our implied societal moral aspects of this like have you have you read any suicide type nde reports where a person had says attempted to commit suicide and failed and instead had an nde i have but unfortunately my my memory is not real good on those i um you know we're real careful in the forums because we don't want people to think that you know you're going to get off scot-free and you're not going to have any problems. The reality is that we just don't know. And um, as I think, as I recall, some of them, those people are not viewed as sinners. They're viewed as people who've got a soul sickness mm -hmm. and they need healing. And I think probably what's going to go on, as I recall a little bit, is I think that light beings are going to um, encounter them and bring them to places of healing. Because as I understand it, <clears throat> on the other side, there are you know, counseling centers, clinics, places where people heal you, places where you learn how to heal others. And they're going to be given the love and the attention they need. And it, and it may involve also a lot of inconvenience. Um, some people in NDEs find themselves in a negative void, you know, like completely black, uh, no love, just uh, a sense of, you know, I'm, I'm alive, I'm thinking, I have a consciousness, but where is everybody? And... Um, you know, you could call it hell, you could call it purgatory, um, you could call it separation. And generally that's not, um, the stories indicate that that's not per permanent. Um, the people, you know, are there and then they call out and they say, God, angels, you know, whatever, Jesus, you know, whoever it is they want to call upon. And then usually it's like, boom, somebody immediately arrives and pulls them to, to the light or to a different dimension that's more positive. Um, when people end up in that um, void state, it appears that it's kind of a self-exile due to shame or uh, fear. You know, maybe that somebody is <clears throat> dying and they're worried that they did a lot of bad stuff in their life. So when they approach the light, they're going to think, well, I, I shouldn't be near the light. You know, I'm going to get punished. Or maybe they went to a lot of church sermons where they thought they were going to get punished. So they kind of, you know, don't want to go any closer. And that's when they might stay there for a while until they say, oh, well, let's give it a shot and ask for help. And then boom, it's there. Hmm. Very interesting. I mean, there's there's a few kind of statistics that go into how common uh, or uncommon rather NDs are. And I think there was a study, I mean, and there's no way to poll everyone on the planet for this. And it was something like 13 million out of 13 million adults, 1% of them had experienced NDEs. So this isn't, a, this isn't a common thing. This is highly rare to experience this. Mm -hmm. Have you, have you read about any more dark challenging experiences where it's not love and light and 
um, yeah, they, those definitely exist. And um, let me say at the offset that they are the minority. And um, exact numbers escape me, but I want to say maybe four or five or six percent, something like that. So you're talking overwhelming odds. I think I'm, I'm going to get embarrassed. You know, somebody's going to say uh, he had the wrong number, but it is definitely the majority are positive. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a couple of theories about what's going on with the negative ones. The one theory that the person feels ashamed, they're, they're probably not going to get judged, but they're worried they will. That's one theory. They feel ashamed of what? They feel ashamed that they might get punished by, the, by God for their life. So huh. they try not to approach God or ah, source or, or okay. higher self or whatever you want to call that. So they don't go towards the light kind of thing. Exactly. They, they're afraid to go in, even though they're welcome to go in. Wow. That's why, you know, you hear the people say, well, you know, send good vibes, prayers, and meditations that they go towards the light. Um, but another theory, uh, you know, some of these are really horrific. Uh, you know, I won't kid you. Um, some people feel like they've met demons on the other side. Some people feel like they've met some sort of negative energy that rips them to shreds. There is a, a guy, um, I think it's uh, Reverend Howard Storm. He was a real mean, <laughs> arrogant uh I think he was a high school teacher, but I'm not sure. And he had a near-death experience, and he describes feeling like demons were just ripping him to shreds. Um, and it just got worse and worse until he cried out to God, and then a light being came and helped him. And immediately he was protected and went through a process and, and um, obviously came back to Earth to tell us about it. Um, one of the theories about some of those very negative ones is that there's a mix of your physical consciousness and your spiritual consciousness. And I'll give you an example like this. Have you ever, um, you know, had like a horrible sunburn or you cut your leg really bad or something and you're, you're waking up in the morning and your leg is hurting or your sunburn is hurting and you realize at the same time your dreams are totally sucking. You know, it's like the physical pain you're in is somehow messing with your dreams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a, there's a theory that people who are in, for example, organ failure might be having hellish NDEs because the pain is starting to really press into their consciousness a lot. And I think that Howard Storm, I think he was into organ failure or uh, ruptured appendicitis or something like that. Um, Pretty painful stuff. Um, And it may be just purely spiritual. It may be that really there are negative entities out there and some people are allowed to see that as sort of a wake-up call. Um, I don't really know the answer. Do you think think it's prudent to assume that perhaps if you had a good life or if you were good in your life and you were generally a good person that perhaps you would have a better NDE than say Hitler? (laughs) Hitler is a tough one, but um, (laughs) there was someone in our forums recently and I'm going to trust he's accurate on this. He said that studies have not really found a good connection between nice people having nice NDEs and horrible people having horrible NDEs. I think um, whatever the stellar you know, machinery or, or gears of that process, whatever that's going on there, I think it's beyond us. Um, however, the NDEs do not talk about judgment uh, you know, much at all. As a matter of fact, usually they talk about having a life review and then we judge ourselves. Um, in other words, a light being or, you know, the light or something might say to us, well, how do you think you did? And the person might say, man, I, I did a, a horrible job. And the light might say, you know, it's okay. You were just learning. You were just learning. And um, I've, I've read so many dozens or hundreds of times, I was my own judge that I can't even count it. So if you in this life have a hard time, you know, being nice to yourself or saying, you know, I was having a bad day, but we all do. If you can't say things like that, you're going to have trouble in your life review because you've got to realize that everyone is, you know, nobody's perfect and we're all learning and you cannot learn without mistakes, you know? So um, you're going to get that flexibility, that love and that compassion in your life review. It's not going to be like, oh, that horrible mortal sin hmm. as, 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 as far as I've read. Mm-hmm. Interesting, man. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, let me pull you up a quote here um, regarding judging myself because there's just so many, but I, I've got at least one here. It says, um, this is coming from a lady, I believe she's in Australia or maybe New Zealand. I don't remember, but it's Yasmin S. 
NDE number 6992. And um, can I read just a little bit of this? Yeah, sure. Um, Okay. Everything was becoming clear to me. Oh, and the nurses were calling my name. One was crying, tears. Another was saying, oh my God, we've lost her. Meanwhile, I was above them thinking what silly billies they were making all that fuss, (laughs) wondering why they couldn't see me and just know that I was perfectly fabulous. I was flying through goldenness, pure, serene, delightful goldenness. Oh, wow. I was held by this serenity for the longest time. I couldn't do anything except be with it and it with me. It was inside me. It was me. It was in and with everyone and everything. I had always been in and with everything. It was and is truth and love and compassion and joy and all, capital A, all. This goldenness held all information. And by the way, that's similar to what Edgar Casey talked about with the Akashic Record. But continuing with Yasmin, it says, It was the one mind. It contained the creation of all of everything ever created. I felt, experienced everything that has ever been and ever shall be. All is simultaneously occurring. That goes back to uh, Be Here Now with Ram Das and uh, R- Richard Alpert. All is simultaneously occurring. There is no past or future. It all just is. There is no way to describe the immaculate beauty of this experience, though every day for the last 35 years I wish I could find a way. Bliss is a mere descriptive word, yet does not give to you which, what I wish is the... Uh, it's not conveying completely the experience. I saw and experienced every single detail of my present life up to that moment, like watching a movie, yet starring as the main character simultaneously. <clears throat> that made me feel quite sad, as I had not lived my life in a state of serene joy and felt ashamed. Ashamed that I had not realized how imperative it is for one to be incredibly happy in this life, no matter what the circumstances, the pain, the fear, no, ma- no matter what. All our material conflicts of body and mind are quite unimportant in the state of ultimate freedom and blissful awareness to which we shall all return. I felt I had been unfaithful to the great presence, who, like a divine loving mother, I had let down. I was my own judge, and yet I was this love simultaneously. I saw how all of humanity has walked with eyes cast low to the earth, not opening wide to the beauty of the one loving presence of golden peace in which we truly live yet do not see. Hmm. So that was from Yasmin. <laughs> <laughs> so, Misha, we're, we're approaching the end here, man. Do you, is there anything that you want to get out or say or anything for our listeners that you'd like to... Don't, don't rush to have an NDE. <laughs> It'll yeah. cause big medical bills for you. <laughs> um, you know, this thing about are they... Are they really happening? Are they hallucinations? Um, you know, science is having that debate right now. And um, there's an academic neurosurgeon recently had an NDE. Some of your listeners may have already heard about him. Um, his name is Eben Alexander. I mean, he's a, a teaching professor, academic neurosurgeon. And he had a, um, a very unexpected, um, what's the word, meningitis, bacterial meningitis. And it got so bad and so out of control, he went into coma for um, a few days or a week or something. I don't remember the time. But he came out of it, and he's written a book recently. And if you want a guy that understands the brain and all of its features, all of its structures, you know how much blood pressure should keep you alive, how much cortex should be healthy to give you thinking, <clears throat> this is the guy. And he, I think he even met a, um, a dead, very young sister that he never met or something on the other side some vertical detail like that i can't recall but this guy is now going around giving lectures and he's quite convinced that consciousness is not the brain he's quite convinced that consciousness uh the brain is a tool to feed human experiences into your real consciousness and um so that's quite fascinating and um you asked about wrapping up. I'll just give you two quick little thoughts. Um, your listeners can watch an awesome video uh, on YouTube. They need to look for Anita Morjani at TEDx. That's Anita, and her last name is M-O-O-R-J-A-N-I. Anita Morjani at TEDx. She had a very profound NDE. And our, in our forum, we just recently had a, um, a new member, and he had a profound NDE. And I'll just read you a real short quote from him. This is Scott W. NDE number 7578. 
I felt this feeling I can only call love that knows no boundary of time, space, or consciousness. It covers everything that has been, is, and will be. I've read it, I've heard it, I've intellectualized it and believed, but never have I felt in my soul until then. Not because we can bribe love by our acts or control it with penance or faith. It's just because we are, and it loves us all no matter what. Hmm. Wow. These are really powerful, man. And and yeah, I... It does seem like death is just a transition and, you know, maybe we're just switching suits and, (laughs) uh, yeah, I am fascinated by this topic and this hour flew by, man. Um, Oh, and, uh, Xavier, I forgot to give credit. Um, I'm one of the administrators on our forum, which is enderf.me. The main site is enderf.org, but there's also on the uh, forum Gary from Canada who uh, helps you know with the programming and reading posts and stuff. So um, a big shout out to Gary who does a good job and to all of our forum members too. And I apologize that I interrupted you. Very cool. So people can find the Near Death Experiences Research Foundation over at enderf, N-D-E-R-F.org. And they also have a forum there. And... Yeah, uh, Misha, this this hour was great, man. I really thank you so much for being here. This is the human experience. We're going to transition back to our bodies, and we will catch (laughs) you guys next week. Thanks, guys.